Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Evolving Mindset podcast. I'm Phil, your host today, and I'm delighted to be joined by David Lee. Good morning, David. Hi there, Phil. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Um, every time I do one of these podcasts, it's always sunny outside. I only do them every couple of weeks, so I think I may book more in because every time I'm doing one, the sun's <laughs> glaring, and when it's not, it's raining, so uh, point to myself. So how are you uh, today? Is it sunny where you are? Yes, it's very nice. Actually, it's it's been a bit grim, but it's t- deciding to cheer up again. So we're uh, we're looking forward to a bit of a uh, bit of sunshine. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Uh, yeah, I think we're overdue it. So, yeah. uh, David, you know, for our listeners, I've brought you on as a specialist guest today. So thank you so much for joining us. But for any of our listeners, if you just want to explain who you are, what your types of work you do, and why you do that, would be great. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm Dave Lee. I'm clinical director at a company called Sleep Unlimited uh, in the UK, although we do operate internationally and nationally. Um, And we are kind of a one stop shop for anybody who's struggling with their sleep. Um, We we talk to individuals, um, civilians, if you like, but we'll also be working. Most of my clinical work is with people who've sustained catastrophic injuries. So I do a lot of work with people who had road traffic accidents. Uh, or falls often uh, in the adult population. And that's about 65% of my clinical work and about 35% with children who've sustained birth trauma, usually sort of medical negligence cases. Um, and I do a little bit in the criminal side as well with as an expert witness in uh, d- death by dangerous driving cases, falling asleep at the wheel, um, and also sex somnia cases where people engage in sexual activity in their sleep and if it's genuine it's uh, a, a legitimate defense in the law and if it's not genuine then they are malingering and go to prison so um i do a little bit of that as well um heading up a team of about 15 of us now uh, five clinical psychologists a couple of physiologists and some admin support um and as i say yeah we operate nationally and, and internationally uh, on the treatment and the assessment and i do a lot of training um, we, we train for the British Psychological Society, the um, Occupational Therapy, um, Royal College of Occupational Therapists. We do some training through them as well. So, um, yeah, we keep ourselves pretty busy, purely yeah. focusing on the sleep stuff. That's what we do. Keeping them in the one lane, which, which yeah. is great. No, it, yeah. it, sounds, it sounds absolutely fascinating. You, you, you mentioned a couple of things there that I've really thought about or, or even um, sort of come across before, but it makes perfect sense. Now, for us, it was one of the biggest themes. That's what I was really passionate about getting you on today. Was one of the biggest themes for our beneficiaries throughout our programs was sleep, and how it really impacted them. The pandemic yeah. being able to get good quality sleep, which then sort of magnified the mental health difficulties they may be facing, and they were struggling to function day to day in life, whether that was in work, relationships, or life. Yeah. So. Obviously, you've come across a lot of that, I would imagine, over the last, say, 12, 18 months. But if yeah. any sort of patterns or any sort of theories behind why it impacted everyone as much, myself included, by the way. Yeah, yeah sure. right. Well, prior to March 2020, we would see one in four adults struggling with their sleep to a clinical level at any given point in time. And since March the 23rd, 2020 we've seen that number double in and that's some survey data from the UK but we'd expect that to be fairly similar across the developed world and we've we've seen that doubling to one in two now 50 percent four reasons really uh, number one anxiety obviously 
unless you are a complete sociopath and have been living under a rock for the last year and a half, yeah. your anxiety has gone up about, about the virus going around, obviously. We've had big changes to people's routines. Sleep likes a good routine. And on the 23rd of March, 2020, overnight, routines changed radically for everybody very quickly. And that threw everybody out, a lot of people out. Um, people have struggled more in the last year to strike a work-life balance because they're bringing work home with them where they might have left that in the office. Now the office is at home and maybe even the office is in the bedroom. So now the bed and the bedroom aren't places for sleep. There are places for work as well. So that's another impact, negative impact. And then the fourth reason is that 25% of people have admitted to drinking more alcohol during lockdown. It's probably more than that. Because yeah. if you ask people how much they drink, they tend not to tell you the truth. <laughs> Every time my GP asks me that question, I'm not always truthful. No, GPs always double it, right? Because they know. Yeah. So, so, so for those four reasons, that, that's really why we've seen this massive upswing in, in sleep problems over the last year for a lot of people. But then some people have found a, a benefit. And one, one group... Um, our teenagers, teenagers have a natural tendency to go to bed later and get up later. They have a delayed melatonin secretion rhythm, which is normal developmental process. So they become more nocturnal and we, we criticize them for that and tell them that they, they're vampires and they're lazy and they can't get out of bed. Wow. But there actually is a natural tendency to get up later and, 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 and go to bed later as teenagers. Please don't tell my children that. They've got, got, got an excuse now. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, but, it, but it is true. Um, and you might have heard of some studies that have been done where they've had later school start times for teenagers. They let them come in a bit later and go later and they have better behaviour, better results, happier, all that. So there is a tendency for them to get up later and go to bed later. Now, with a the pandemic, they haven't had to get up at half six to catch the bus to go to school. So some of them have had to get, been able to sleep in a more natural rhythm for themselves. But not you know, most people actually have, have struggled a lot more with their sleep over the last... Uh, 15, 16 months, yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of things there. We have one, one that the, the teenager thing really, really fascinated me. And another one is um, around the people who, who access our support. Mm. Um, we work with them because a lot of them use um, alcohol or, or drugs as, a, as, a, as an escape from yeah. the difficulties yeah. they're facing. In our programs, we call them false taps in our stress bucket because it may temporarily solve the problem or make me feel a little bit better, but tomorrow yeah. it's going to come back tenfold. Yeah. What I didn't really, it was only when you said there was four things, is how what the impact alcohol has on on a on quality right. of sleep. You'd explain that just for me, really. Yeah. So alcohol is the most commonly self-prescribed hypnotic medication in the world there are literally millions of people who drink themselves to sleep every night under that false belief that it helps them to sleep better now alcohol is soporific so you get drunk you feel sleepy you fall asleep so what most people don't know about sleep a lot of people regard sleep as just kind of an off state that you, you some switch goes off in your head when you fall asleep and you're asleep but actually sleep's quite complicated and we have different types of sleep which do different things for us i'm sure you and many of your listeners have probably heard of rem sleep before yep. rapid, eye movement, rapid sleep. eye movement yeah yeah so we can divide sleep into two different types there's rem sleep rapid eye movement sleep and non-rem sleep and the non-rem sleep is divided into different stages of light to deep and the deep non-REM sleep is really the most important sleep for us. 
in terms of dealing with what we've experienced during the day at a content level. So remembering stuff and also forgetting stuff. Actually forgetting stuff's really important. And when we're in that deep non-REM sleep, this is where it's almost like a secretary comes out into your brain and starts tidying up all the bits of paper that is generated in the the day before, all those thoughts, if you analogize your brain to be in a busy office, you need that deep non-REM sleep to tidy it up. And we need the REM sleep for more emotional reprocessing. So you'll know that um, you could, you, when, when we dream, sometimes we can have really quite emotional dreams, very anxious, very exciting, very frightening, very erotic. You know, these extreme dreams are more in REM and a different part of our brain is activated. Our limbic system, our amygdala is activated in REM. And that's sort of about emotional reprocessing, sort of discharging the traumas that we've experienced during the day. So in order to be a happy, healthy person, you've got to get the right balance of REM and non-REM and enough sleep. Now with alcohol, what it does is it knocks you out of the deep non-REM sleep and out of the REM sleep. So you're just in light non-REM sleep and that's not so good at emotional reprocessing, not so good at tidying up your busy office and you dehydrate when you're drunk. So you wake up early, maybe, dehydrated so then you don't have enough sleep so when you're moderately to extremely drunk mild alcohol consumption is fine but if you're moderately drunk regularly or or getting more seriously drunk in in the nighttime you will be changing your sleep structure so you don't get the REM and deep non-REM as much you don't get enough because you wake up dehydrated that leads to low mood which leads to more drinking so you have a very insidious circular relationship yeah. with alcohol dependency and, and poor sleep. And the other thing is in recovery, when you look at people who are chronically alcohol dependent, I'm talking very at the severe end here, it can take 18 months to two years for the normal sleep structure to come back after they've wow. become abstinent. And that's why you see so many people in recovery from alcohol dependency. They're very vulnerable and relapse is very common in those and it can be for quite a long time you know 18 months to two years after being abstinent so people who are abstinent alcohol dependent they need a lot of support for quite a long time after they become abstinent to get their normal sleep patterns back and of course when they come back then they feel better they tidy up their office they emotionally reprocess better and their mood lifts and then they don't drink so much yeah i'll be honest with you david we get absolutely uh, so many referrals from addiction centres or yeah. addiction recovery places we refer into uh, for free support programmes and it's really fascinating that I've never really thought of it that way and you know I think even if, if you could for me uh, if you're up for it is just to do maybe even a recording of, or take a sample of this recording here today and and play it you know just to try yeah. and I can't articulate what you've just said as well as what as what you have right. and the way you've done it was really sort of good so I could sort of explain it better for these people who are coming on to support them. Right. Well, I mean, from our point of view, it's great to be able to talk to, to you, Phil, about the work that you're doing, because I think there might be ways that we can mutually support each other there. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time and, and um, we go out and deliver this stuff. So, but we have, we've recorded a load of stuff already. So we've got loads and loads of films on different aspects of sleep. And there's a seven minute one on alcohol Brilliant. which i've just given you there in two yep. so if you want a bit more <laughs> we can share the alcohol no, it'd be, yeah and that's part of some of our support programs what we do is we embed videos in, in in like the talk so what we say is right we're going to play this now 
let's play it and we'll have a discussion at the end of it. Yeah. And it just sparks dialogue within the group. Um, some yeah. people open up at that stage and say, yeah, listen, I really depend on, on drinking to get me asleep. And, it's, yeah. and I, I, we call it a false tap our side because we reach to it, but really, it's not really, it's like sticking a plaster on, it's, it's going to come back. But you, the way you just explained that, I think if people knew more of that, and the cohorts of people who I support don't know what you've just talked about. Yeah. So so alcohol most commonly self-prescribed hypnotic drug in the world because it makes us sleepy when we drink it, but then people don't realize what the impact on our sleep is thereafter, just because of a lack of explanation, education. So I mean that's really where I come in here, and that's why we've recorded those films. And it's the kind of thing that we put into corporate well-being programs for sleep for the organizations, the commercial organizations who we work with. Um, we sell them these videos, they subscribe to them, and then they let their whole workforce view them, they help their sleep out, then that impacts across the board on all other aspects of their, of their lives. You started off today talking about nutrition and hydration and exercise and sleep as these pillars of health that people are more than familiar with, yeah, the three pillars of health. Actually, sleep's a, a, a foundation stone because you can have the best nutrition hydration exercise as you as you can get if you're not sleeping well you haven't got a good life so it, it all stands on good sleep sleep's more important than these things yet it gets very little attention and yeah no, i agree so we, we, we obviously the name of our company is evolving mindset so what we try and say is we're not going to get if we haven't got the right mindset then we ain't going to get the job because our inner critics tell us we're no good or this or that. But you're absolutely right. That one that sort of goes missing is the sleep. Because without it, I could have the best, you know, I could have the best motivation. But if I haven't yeah. slept well, I want to go back to bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't got the right mindset. I haven't got... Yeah, and you can't remember what you're supposed to do. And it has impact across the whole aspect yeah. of your life. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fascinating subject. The one that I, I am keen to learn more about myself. Because um, I can go through really... Um, erratic periods with sleep uh, to a point of like insomnia where I'll feel as if you know I'm getting like maybe an hour or two a night and then that can tend to it's like I get into a bad habit cycle myself and I have to try and re-regulate that, that yeah. sleeping again and, and um, I it's think all it's adjustable all... though and we can and we can treat and get in, and do really quite a lot from most people in a fairly simple psychological stroke behavioral way without necessarily needing to go to medication at all. Mm -hmm. um, so they, a lot of the things that you talk about there, Phil, from your own personal experience are really common, mm -hmm. um, but they're really tractable. You know, these things are not set. We can move them and we can shift them in the right direction. And it's a mindset thing. Like, yes, absolutely. If we can get people thinking and doing things in a, just a slightly different way sometimes, you can have huge impacts really quickly. I'll give you one quick example. This yeah, is something that's really, really common. Um, it, it's bizarre to me that people don't seem to join the dots between what they do at eight o'clock at night and what happens at three o'clock in the morning. You know, 16 pints of Stella is going to have to go somewhere, Marjorie. You're not going to hang on to that all night long, right? Yeah. So, so there's a really simple thing. There, there will be hundreds of thousands of people out there who wake up to use the bathroom during the night many maybe multiple times and you can solve that with with one simple behavioral intervention just say stop drinking anything in the two hours before you go to bed but, yeah. Ooh, i need to be hydrated yeah drink as much as you like during the day stop in the two hours before bed you void your bladder 
before you go to bed and then you don't need to wake up at three o'clock in the morning. And I've treated hundreds of people like that just with that one thing it takes two minutes. So it, there's a real good, simple take home for some people there. If you're waking up in the night, just stop drinking so much in the two hours before bed and you can change, change it like that. Yeah, and it's and cost that, neutral. That's, I'm going to use that. So I'd say that the, the session we're actually running at this Wednesday, it's called physical well-being and positive habits. And it's all around exploring our unhealthy habits that we have in them four areas, sleep, hydration, yeah. nutrition, and exercise, and trying to replace them with, with healthier or, or good habits yeah. and yeah. change yeah. the habit formation. So that's and, definitely and actually maybe what we're saying to people, and this is some of the things, if you tell people they can't do something anymore, then they tend not to listen to you and go away. Um, whereas if you just say, no, you can keep doing everything that you do, just slightly change when you do it or how you do it. Um, yeah, that's true. less onerous, you know, and then and people are more likely to comply with it. Um, so there's loads of things like that. I mean, I'll give another one, caffeine. You know, loads of people drink. We're all loads of us are hooked on caffeine. But a lot of people don't realise it's got a really long half-life. So it takes a long time for your body to wash it out. So it's got it's like four to six hours. So if you have a cup of coffee at, at noon, four o'clock in the afternoon, half of it's still in you. Eight o'clock at night, a quarter of it's in you midnight an eighth of it's still in you it sort of gradually wears off oh, yeah. and yet loads of people will have their evening meal and then have a cup of coffee or yeah. drink fizzy drinks which are loaded with caffeine and then they can't sleep and they don't know why they can't sleep they think there's something wrong with them ah but it's not they're just drinking loads of caffeine so for that one we say leave the caffeine alone after lunch if you can well, people who drink vodka and red bull red bulls in the in the club at 2 a.m you come home why can't I sleep? Yeah, you just uh, you just Jaeger bombed yourself into oblivion, mate. That's what you've done. <laughs> Absolutely, no, that, that's some of that some that's really really fascinating. That um, the one though that got me there as well. If you don't mind me sort of just thinking is around this thing around teenagers. So you said it. Just put a little bit more context around it. So so what happens with teenagers? Because we all we all do it as parents. We always go, oh, beauty, me, 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 me kids won't go to bed or they're up till stupid o'clock and we yeah, feel yeah. quite critical. But then you're yeah. coming from it from a it's not, it's not scientific point yeah, yeah. of view. It's yeah. Natural, natural biology is not their fault. And we do criticise them for it. And that's sort of modern society creeping in and saying, you've got to get up at half seven and you've got to be in school by half eight. Yeah. Now, they're not supposed to do that, right? So I'll, I'll give you... So I mentioned melatonin, right? This is the, the biological factor that changes it for teenagers, right? So melatonin is generated by a gland in our brain called the pineal gland. It just makes melatonin, right? Now, when you're exposed to, to light through your eyes, that information in that light is processed in your brain and you make decisions about what you see in the light. That's right. We all get that. But light has a pressure to it as well, intensity. So it can be dim or bright. The brighter, the more intense light you get in, that, that, that signals down the optic nerves, which go past the pineal gland. So the, there's an analogy here, like, you know, you can get a balloon and rub it on your jumper and charge it up with static and stick mm. it on the wall. Yeah. So if you imagine your pineal gland's the balloon, the static's the melatonin that the pineal gland makes, and it's the signal going down your eyes is the pressure. So the more light pressure you get into your eyes, the more melatonin your body makes. When it gets dark, that signals your pineal gland, stop making it, release it. And that's sleep promoting. And that's why a day outside is so tiring because you get so much more light pressure outdoors than you do indoors. So light pressure is measured in lux or lumens. I'm sat in a fairly bright room, 300 lux. 
you asked me about my sunny day at the start of this. Yeah, summertime, sunny day out there in the north of England. There'd be 30,000 lux coming out of that sky. So like order 100 times more light pressure outdoors than I'm getting indoors. Yet we spend our lives increasingly under conditions of artificial light. So we massively reduce the signal. So a really good way to promote your sleep is just to do whatever it is you do outdoors. Don't go and exercise in the gym. Don't run around in the park. And, and, and we're involved in loads of projects at the moment. It's fast, you know, I, could, I think we say 30 minute podcast thing would have been about four hours. It's fascinating. <laughs> Everything you say. I'm going to try and get it. I'm trying to speed up. It's important you get no. the background. So that's the yeah. melatonin and the secretion of it. And that's what normally happens. Now, um, you got a partner? Yeah, yes. Yeah. We also have a chronotype, right? So some people are morning larks and some people are night owls. I'm an owl. You? Owl. You're an owl. I bet yeah. your missus or your partner is, is, a, is a lark. Yes, probably. Yeah, I'll yeah. go along with that. Mine is. And that makes sense, right? It makes sense that we can select our partner to be the opposite chronotype to ourselves. That's good for our chicks, right? So I'm my missus is really good at looking after the chicks in the morning because she's a lark and that's when I'm rubbish. Mm. And I'm really good at looking after them in the evening when they're asleep, when she's rubbish, right? Mm. now. This is why the teenager probably has the delayed secretion rhythm. The teenager is old enough to keep an eye on the herd, but young enough, hopefully, that they haven't had chicks of their own yet. So it makes sense that they do the night shift. And that's why we think we've got that melatonin shift going on with the teenagers. So my missus does the early shift. I do the late shift. Our teenage boy does the night shift. Now someone's looking after the herd all around the 24-hour clock. And that helps us to survive. That's why you picked your missus and I picked my missus or she picked me or she yeah, picked you, whatever. Yeah. And to be the opposite chronotype, yeah. you may well have had a relationship with someone that was great, but it all fell apart. Oh, I don't know why, because you were too hourly, the pair of you, you know, we actually need to be with someone who, and we select subconsciously, we go for these people. It's so common to find that you yeah. are attracted without even thinking about it to the opposite chronotype yourselves. And that is why the teenager that's our hypothesis. It's not, we haven't got that really well researched, but that makes an evolutionary biological sense for the teenager to do the night shift. And that's why I think we see their melatonin rhythm being delayed quite naturally. And then of course we grab them and go, no, you're up at half seven, Johnny, to get on the bus to go to school. And he goes, yeah. I want to stay up and play and whatever, really, with yeah, whatever, whatever game it is on the Xbox usually yeah, in my, in my, in my world. No, so it's, I, a real, I, it's a real quandary that because we should let them stay up late, but we can't because we've got to send them to school. It's a really tricky one. It's, we think that we're doing the right thing, but I, I love the um, that proactiveness from the school that you're talking about there, at least exploring that. Say, well, why don't we let them come in later? And, and you know, and it's breaking the norm, is it? No school is this time to yeah, that time. And we're yeah. trying to shoehorn. But sometimes sure. we have to be creative and try and look at innovative Innovate. ways. Yeah, yeah. be flexible. And, and we see this not just across, across. you get ill and you go into the NHS in a hospital situation. Well, you're woken up at seven o'clock for your medications and you're put to bed at half nine before the night shift comes on, whether you're a lark or an owl or whatever. So we don't, we're not that patient centred or client centred. We actually take people and we pick them up and we stick them in. And shift workers, another great example, you know, all the larks, they hate the late shift. The owls hate the early shift. 
And we don't chronotype them and say, oh, all you larks, you do the earlies and all you owls, you do the lates. And if we did that, you'd have a happier, more productive, yeah. Yeah, you know as a lead, as a lead of myself. As a lead of myself. Terry yeah. doesn't, I don't care what chronotype you are, you're a shift worker now. Two weeks of earlies that you're going to hate. <laughs> what, we, what we do, we try and identify our learners, don't we? So I'm trying to look at it from a leadership point of view and this, and we're trying to see what type of best learner, I'm a reflector, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pragmatist, you know, I'm a theory, all these sorts of things. Wouldn't it be great as a leader to look at that, that what you've just talked yeah. about? I, I, don't, to... I don't, yeah, I think actually what you're talking about there is a level up of complexity. And you just say larks and owls at a base yeah. level. You say, right, if you're larky, I'm going to let you come in at six o'clock. And leave it too and if you're hourly i'm going to let you come in at 10 o'clock and leave it at, at six or whatever and that and that'll be great <laughs> and i think and again it's to get the real good stuff i'm doing a lot of leadership stuff at the moment with, with some clients is to give the people that autonomy as well to yeah. be more productive to be when they know they're going to be performing at the best i trust you because you're a sensible adult to make yeah. those decisions and if you get the work done i don't care how when you do it just if it's done and it's done to a standard then do it when you like how you like and i think that is a positive post pandemic with a hybrid working that's now being discussed and people may be opting for working at home more permanently um, that they get the option to be more flexible with how they manage their daily routines. And, and I, I can see a positive coming there. If we continue to acknowledge it and embrace it and allow it to happen, I could see certain situations and certain sectors maybe might just revert back to type. But I think we've yeah, got an opportunity here. Yeah, I think with me, the likes of it, it's only just sort of hit with me, where what I would do is if I finish work, I would say 5, 6 p.m. I may have watch a bit of TV with, with my partner. We may have some a meal or whatever, and then I can go because I, I feel as if I'm I'm more I come alive overnight. So yeah. it's a case of well, I will tell you what, I have this planned in in the morning, and I'll do that now, yeah. and I can have a bit of a lie in the yeah. morning. I can have a, I don't have to worry about that in the morning. May not oh. I can have like leave the alarm clock another half an hour or or, or whatever because that's when I get up and I'm doing it. But am I at my productive best? No, because I'm tired. I've just woke up. I'm grumpy. Yeah. Um, all that you're an owl. Mornings yeah, are horrible. And I, yeah. I never really even <laughs> thought of it until... For me, put... it, it's, it's three cups of tea and 10 o'clock before I'm worth talking to, right? <laughs> so don't call me at nine o'clock and start haranguing me about stuff that you want me to do because I'm not going to be very receptive. Yeah. I asked, I asked my team once to give me some um, 360 feedback uh, around just how, uh, what I'm like as a leader and I wanted it warts and all. Uh, yeah. And one, com one comment was really funny, really still makes me giggle to today's when any time we wanted annual leave, we wouldn't ask you until 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, <laughs> so they know. Because <laughs> chances yeah. are, if they asked me in the morning, I'd be yeah. more grumpier and I'd say no, or you couldn't have it. Where in the afternoon, I'm probably a bit more friendly, a bit more. Yeah. So yeah. it's amazing just how what sleep or what type of, of what you're talking about there, person we are, can impact the way we perform. One yeah, thing for me, absolutely a hardwired genetic thing as well. And and if you're hourly now, you always have been, you always will be. And, and if you're larky now, you always have been, you always will be. And intuitively, everyone knows whether they're larky or hourly or not. But I don't think they really acknowledge it enough. And if you do and you focus in on it, you think, well, I will, just like you described there, I'm going to schedule my work pattern around my chronotype mm. and I'll do better as a result. Mm. Oh, if I have a look at the standard of work as well, say, for example, I'm writing a bid or I'm doing something, 
once I'm in that zone when I'm, I'm there, boom, I'm flying. I'm, yeah. I'm more creative. I'm more pinpointed. I have better ideas, better better sort of things than than in the morning. So it just it just makes sense. Uh, I just want to touch up on one other thing that does come up a lot on our program. I'm just mindful of time as well. Yeah. Is what I was curious what you said earlier on, and for me it was really really important. What we don't say to people is you don't do this. We do something called our top tips. So what we try and say is previous participants have come up with these top tips. What do you what do you think? Yeah. And they'll either take it or not, or rather than us saying to them that you're not going to do it, or you have to do this. But what one that comes up all the time is people doing social media before they go to bed. So what impact would that have on a person's quality of sleep? Looking at a phone, even in a dark room, when you were mentioned about the lights and and the and the, and the chemicals, if you could just elaborate a yeah. bit on that for us. Um, yeah, sure. So, I mean, this all goes back to the melatonin stuff that we were talking about earlier on. So, the melatonin is made best under conditions of blue end spectrum light, which yeah. is the light you get out of the sky in the mornings. And then, as the day goes on, it shifts to the red end of the spectrum, so you get red sky at night. And that red shift starts to tell your brain, oh, it's evening now, we'll stop making the melatonin because it'll be dark soon and we'll get ready to release it. Then it gets dark, signal stops, melatonin gets released. That's normal, healthy pattern. And actually, I'm, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm not supposed to be zooming. I'm supposed yeah. to be farming out yeah. there. That's what we've evolved to do. So we corrupt that by looking at these, blues, these flat screens emit light at the blue end of the spectrum so if you're looking at your phone your screen your computer your telly late at night you're getting blue end spectrum light into your eyes and that's telling your brain it's the morning so we, we had a study that came out in 2015 from a guy called Paul Gringrass at UCL um, in London bigger brighter bluer better question marks the study has become a bit of a seminal study and, that, and it, it, he showed there that the blue light from all those devices kindles e-readers the whole lot they all impact negatively on our sleep because of that blue light more recently the industry has responded by putting those red light filters on that you might like twilight apps and things to make your yeah. screens more reddy orangey at night so because th those those guys don't want you not looking at your screen at any point around the they want you hooked into it all the time more push notifications more facebook more dopamine blah, keep you plugged in so they introduced these as a response to that greengrass study in 2015 and the initial research that's being done subsequent to that has shown that actually it's still negative impact on sleep but the idea now that it is, is that it might not just be the light as in the blue, the spectrum of light, blue and red, that, that might be part of it, but it's also the content of the, what you're consuming in the light. So if someone says something nasty about you on Facebook at half past 10 at night, or you know your boss sends you an email at half past 10 at night, so it might be that there's a physiological impact with the blue yeah, light, but a psychological impact with the content yeah. of the light, if you like. Even on the opposite end of that, you know, you put a video out and it's got a thousand likes or a thousand views and stuff like that, and loads of positive comments. What's happening inside is, oh, I like yeah. that. Yeah, you yeah, know, so you getting, actually, that so, excites you in a positive way. Yeah, so, yeah. oh, I've got another five likes. I'll just sit here and look at this thumb giving me more tips for another two hours and see how many more I can get in the next two hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it, you're, you're right, it could be positive or negative. But the point is, it's arousal. The blue light yeah. is arousing. The, the content is arousing. And actually, in order to go to sleep, 
you have to de-arouse. So if I say to you, Phil, if you're asleep in the next five minutes, I'll give you £2,000. Or if you're not asleep in the next two minutes, I'll come and shoot you. You ain't going to sleep. You're way too excited, right? So, and that's one of the things that we've seen in, in, in insomnia generally forever. Most insomniacs are at least a little bit anxious about it. They're aroused about it. They think about their sleep. The pandemic comes along, anxiety goes up. That's arousal. Mm. That's not conducive for sleep. We must de-arouse to sleep. Yeah. Wow, so it's given me so much food for thought. So when I'm on the session on Wednesday evening, and either when I come on to sleep, I, if I'm being really honest with you, David, I'm absolutely ecstatic that, that we've done this because... I feel, I'm not an expert, far from it, you know, I've just got a little snippet of information, but I feel far more equipped when, when we get onto the sleep section of the programme. It was like, it, I don't know how to describe it, the programme's really good and the session's really good. The three sessions, the three other parts, physical exercise, hydration and, and nutrition, um, they seem to be like the showstoppers and then we have this bit about sleep. And I think it's because I was so ill-informed or not educated enough to be able to talk about it in in so much detail um so that's really helped us so if you could in a whistle top tour if you could give our listeners all these people on wednesday top five tips to have a better sleep what would you be just just bullet pointed it's really tricky because there's no two insomniacs who are the same marjorie drinks too much coffee Terry's got long COVID, he's got a 30-year abuse history and he drinks too much coffee and alcohol. You have to treat people in different ways. Individually, yeah. Yeah, I get that. I get but that. that that's the most important thing is to identify what the problem for each individual is and then treat them. We've talked about fluid, you know, just some general things that are very common. Fluid restriction, blue screens, two hours before bed, put them away. Caffeine, yeah. we've talked about, avoid that after lunch. Good yeah. routine, sleep loves it. So get the right routine for you the right amount of sleep for you. Some people get by on six, some people need nine. Kids need more because they're young. We haven't really talked about kids apart from teenagers, but they might need more because the, the younger they are, the more they will sleep. And then there's this two hour rule for loads of things. So nicotine, alcohol, fluid, eating too much, exercising too close to bed, hot baths, all these things arouse us. So there's this well, two hour some, rule. So I love this. So let's explore them. And that's the reason why I've done it. So there, I have people who come on to say that what helps them go to sleep, or what they think, they're telling mm. me that they're struggling with the sleep, but yeah. one of their top tips they say, or what I try and do is I have a hot bath before I go to bed. Where and it's been in the media, that one. And, and, and it's a really good example of how some really good science that was done back in the 80s at Loughborough University by a guy called Jim Horn, who did some really good science, has been slightly twisted by the, by the press. And what he did, he took groups of athletes Loughborough is a big sporty university he got a third of them as a control group playing pool in the sleep lab a third of them gave them hot baths earlier in the day and a third of them he ran around the track all afternoon and he showed that the people who did the running and the hot baths slept they got more of that deep non-REM sleep compared to the control group or themselves at baseline so he demonstrated that you can if you cook your brain a bit, either by running around or by sitting in hot water, it gives you better sleep the next night. And that's when the media jumped on it and went, oh, hot baths help you sleep. But of course, most people have their dinner, then have a bath and, at half nine at night and then go to bed at 10 and they then don't sleep so well because they're too hot. So the hot bath does help you sleep. 
And that's great because if you're if you've got mobility problems or pain and you can't physically can't exercise pain, yeah. so easily, you can do it passively in a hot bath, and that's lovely, but just earlier in the day. Yeah. So it's a really good example of how some good advice, some good science, really a really good evidence-driven, proper decent science has been slightly twisted by the press, and then people do the wrong thing and actually causes problems. So it's the two-hour rule with that one. That's a really common mis misconception. Yeah. A lot of people have heard the hot bath helps, um, and it does just earlier in the day. Yeah. Uh, no, and I think for me, um, I'm really fascinated. Something's hit with me tonight. Is um, around when you were talking about the amount of look sorry I have to ignore my ignorance yeah, yeah. the lights Lux. that come the lights that come in the looks or, or whatever that they are and it's so much more in daylight and we're always yeah. knackered when we come in when we're being out because we should we yeah. should be designed to be out hunting or farming or whatever it is. Yeah yeah, yeah. but the all the science at the moment is around I'm involved in a project at the moment as well around being in nature and how mm -hmm. much that's beneficial for our mental health. And I'm curious to see, well, is it that or is it because we get better quality sleep or if there's a link between yeah, so five people? There, right. So there's there's um, there's there was something that was really popular five or six years ago. Nordic walking. Yeah. You feel much better if you do Nordic walking. Um, and much more recent has been uh, forest bathing, Japan, yeah. Japanese practice of forest bathing and uh, hippotherapy, equine therapy. Um, I'm sure all these things are beneficial, but I think one of the key things that's underlying all of these sorts of approaches is that they're happening outdoors. Mm -hmm. And actually what you're going to have by being outdoors for more time is more of that light pressure, more lux, more melatonin, better sleep. And that actually has a beneficial effect on mood and performance. So I think there are claims that are made about forest bathing, for example, that aren't necessarily you might not need to go and bathe in a forest you could just go and sit in your back garden and then you might have the same effect if you see what i mean you don't yeah. have to pay a tour guide to take you to a soccer and you know walk yeah. around it you can actually get it in Basingstoke, just out of your back door so yeah. i'm not I'm a, yeah, I'm a bit skeptical about that oh here's this new thing that's really going to help you because actually it could just be that you're outdoors so try yeah. that first yeah what, 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 that first, what, what, that's free and it's accessible yeah. And then if you and then if you want to do some go to go to Scandinavia and wander about, fine. Yeah. What what we're doing at the moment is is we're, we're trying to look at some evidence based approaches that are, are well known for um, mental well being without the use of medication. So the project that we're looking at at the moment is doing mindfulness, but in nature. So being being mindful of the bread, but actually getting outdoors. And the results we're getting back so far have been really really positive. Right. But I've not so known. We, we, I've not yeah, known why possibly, and is it because people are getting better quality of sleep? That's one thing I've not even explored. Well, if that well, makes sense. So there was a study that was done in 2015 by a guy called Wong out in Japan who used mindfulness component, mindfulness meditation, as part of his CBT for insomnia, CBTI, which is cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. That's what what I do. That's what my book's all about. That's the training that we deliver. That's what the NHS say you should treat insomnia with so it's this evidence-based set of interventions called cbti and wong out in japan in 2015 was doing a cbti program bolted in a mindfulness meditation protocol into that and showed some really good results so it could well be that you, you can have a kind of a multifaceted um intervention that you're getting benefits from here and then from there and then from there and if we attack a problem 
in a in a in broad strokes ways from multiple different areas then you're going to get better results and we see that with sleep stuff all the time so you take depression for example most people who don't sleep well are also depressed most people who are depressed don't sleep well well you can give them medication or psychotherapy for their depression and they get better mostly but if you do something with their sleep about their sleep at the same time they get better quicker and they're less likely to relapse yeah, and even there was a study that was done in, in in america they took a load of people with with depression and didn't treat them for their depression they just treated them for their insomnia and half of them their depression remitted and that stayed remitted for three months so there's a huge link with sleep here and it is about taking a multifactorial approach sometimes and working in a multidisciplinary team and you take expertise from there from there from there that's why we have clinical psychologists physiologists mm. on our team so we've got we and we we liaise with loads of other experts health professionals ot's physios all sorts to put in that multifaceted package around that person based on a very good formulation or assessment of them so we understand what their specific issues are and then what we can then do to treat that and it's highly effective cbt for insomnia it, it works for 70 percent of people that engage with it which is a fantastic hit rate yeah. you know find me a drug out there that can hit 70 percent and i'll yeah. give you a lot of money because they don't exist yeah no honestly god it, it's been it's been fascinating so um, I can keep you. I can honestly, Dave. I can keep you here all day. If I'm really honest with you, but um, opportunity now for obviously we have we have a lot of listeners. Um, so I'd really like to let them to know our listeners how they can get hold of you, how they could maybe get you in within the business side of it. So and I know you've done a book and things like that. So please over to you, to sort of let people know how they can where they can visit your sites and stuff like that. Just over to you to. Uh, not to sell because I think you don't need to. I think that podcast is already right. sold itself. But um, just how time for a shameless it. plug is it? Or yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so I've written a book about CBT for insomnia and, and how we can make it a bit better and bring bring it into the sort of twenty first century a little bit. Um, so that's called Teaching the World to Sleep, and that that's on Amazon. That's published by Routledge in twenty seventeen. And if you're an individual out there who's struggling with your sleep and you're as kind of intelligent, you could probably buy that and treat yourself with it. You could use it as a self-help book. Um, if you and, and it's all about CBT for insomnia. So that's what the NHS would recommend you be treated with anyway. And most people could probably they get something out of that. What I say to most people once they've had training or they've read the book is just say, try that stuff out for a few weeks. If you're still struggling, you might be in the 30%. You might have more of a problem, in which case come back to us and we can do a bit more of a detailed assessment. And that's all through our website. So there's details of all our training programs, our, our work in the medical legal domain with people who've had these catastrophic yeah. injuries, um, as well as our, our treatment process. And that's um, www.sleepunlimited.co.uk. Um, mm -hmm. And it, yeah, there's, there's just loads more information and and contact forms and all the rest of it to get in touch with us um if if you feel like you need to but i'd say for most people right, you know 70 you, percent, you could probably get hold of that book and use it as a, as a self-help workbook and, and treat yourselves really because a lot of stuff in cbti is not that complicated um and if you've got a low level problem you just drink too much coffee 
you know, that's pretty straightforward. You don't, I wouldn't necessarily say you've got to go and spend you know, hundreds of pounds here, there or everywhere. Um, and the other thing that I would say to people is don't invest in any gadgets or gizmos that, that are out there because none of them have ever worked. Uh, none of them ever will work because they don't. And uh, uh, despite lots of claims that get made, there's a lot of spurious stuff out there. At the moment, the, the go-to thing is CBT for insomnia. So, I mean, I don't necessarily have to get that from me or us or buy the book. You just search for that. That's the evidence base. That's what we know works. And we haven't really got any evidence for anything else yet. So I just put that in as a little word of caution there for your uh, for your listeners, Phil. Yeah, thanks, Dave. What I'll do, Dave, on our programmes that we run, uh, say the free in the community uh, for them to access. Uh, and if it's OK with you, I'll put a link to that to that book. And I'm not telling people yeah. to buy it. We're giving people an option. But if they are... Just a resource. Yeah. Yeah. And some might find that useful. Yeah. yeah. And that's great. And, and let's um, let's stay in touch because, you know, with all the film stuff that we do, that we put into the, the commercial organisations, I think we'd be happy to share some of those with, with you. We've got a lot of them, just one minute, two minute, really sort of sound bitey social media type films. Uh, which generate interest uh, in organisations. And I'd be happy to share that with you because uh, we do a lot of pro bono work as well. We work with, uh, I'm a, a director at Headway Northeast, a brain injury charity up here. And we do a lot of pro bono work in that sense. And we do want to support people like yourselves getting this stuff out there to people that need it. Um, yeah. so, as I say, yeah, I think, touch on that. Yeah, I think as I say, over a thousand, I think a thousand forty-eight people have, have approached our support completely free. So we're... Uh, uh, we don't charge them with a not-for-profit organisation. So any giving people the best resources available to, to help themselves is more empowering than people telling people you need to know what to yeah. do. I've just got one final one, if that's okay, Dave. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's just around, we do get a lot of people on our programme who are experiencing PTSD. Mm -hmm. Now, what they tend us is the flashbacks, is the nightmares, is the all of these things have you got any i mean that was quite complex yeah if there's any advice for people or signposting for us yeah. we, can, we can help people with yeah so we see a lot of that and nightmares are a core diagnostic feature of ptsd there is a technique that we can use to help with that from a sleep point of view it's called imagery rehearsal which uh, or imagery rescripting so you can use you, you take the negative dream and you rewrite a happy ending you rehearse it and gradually the happy dream replaces the negative dream but you've got to put that together with psychotherapeutic support yeah. as well yeah. and we, this is where we work multidisciplinarily um and at the moment what's emerged very recently i'm sure you've heard of it is uh, emdr eye yes, movement uh, yeah absolutely reprocessing yeah. shown yeah. to be really effective for trauma so yeah. What we'll often do is we'll try and work, and, and some of our clinical psychologists at Sleep Unlimited are trained in that. So if we find someone who's traumatized and showing symptoms of PTSD, nightmares being one of them, um, and they can identify some abuse or trauma that they've experienced, then we would plug them into our clinical psychologist who can do the EMDR work at the same time as doing the, the sleep work and imagery rescripting. So that's our approach, um, but there's definitely a lot out there. And if people are struggling and they want to just, you know get in touch or i can definitely point people in the right direction with that yeah absolutely fantastic dave it's been an absolute pleasure mate genuinely um i i i, I honestly could sit here and talk to you about another three hours and just pick your <laughs> brains so thank you so much i'm sure our listeners have got a lot out of this podcast because i know i have um so uh, thank you very much and no, thanks thanks to you phil thanks for your time and um, i hope it's been useful for you no, it really, really genuinely more more than what you were uh, more than what you'd know. 
I think, Dave, I'm really honest with you. But thanks very much. Let's keep in touch. And thank you, everybody. And we'll see you on the next podcast.